0: You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now, for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts.
1: Hi, this is Caitlin Martin.
0: This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is
2: Howard Schweitzer. Mark and Caitlin, good morning. It is Saturday, March 27th. Good I'm Good morning. I'm very de- I'm very discombobulated. I'm, I'm extremely discombobulated by the fact that the Sweet 16 for my team is starting on a Sunday. I I, I am just off kilter. But
0: well, the good uh, news is you have games Monday and Tuesday. So that's true. That's Although, hopefully, hopefully. Michigan may not. Right? Hopefully, Villanova Big, may not.
2: We'll the see. Big Ten has not distinguished itself, notwithstanding the fact that. Uh, Caitlin, we had the uh, strongest conference this year, but not in the tournament. Not in the tournament.
0: This is the Big Ten being punished for admitting Rutgers and Maryland and not just being a Midwest conference. Penn State and Nebraska were a little bit of a stretch, but Rutgers and Maryland, this, this is punishment is it, for overreaching. It's the
2: basketball
0: gods, Mark? It is. It's the basketball gods. Okay.
1: All right, right. guys, I got to start paying attention to sports. (laughs) No, we're done. We're done,
0: Kayla. At least Uh, it isn't golf,
1: Kayla. did that yesterday. I know. I know.
0: All
2: right. So let's talk about a few different things today. Let's talk about how you talk to the Biden administration. Let's talk about the state of Joe Biden. And let's talk about the voting rights bill in Georgia that's the top of the front page in the New York Times and the Washington Post. So, Mark, it's, you know, we're however many days in. The cabinet is basically, I think the the entire cabinet's confirmed at this point. Uh, We got there this week. But find me a business person. Find me somebody in Joe Biden's cabinet who's done something other than be wonkish about policy, run for office. I mean, find me a business person. It's, this is Obama. This is Obama 2.0. I remember some of the Obama business supporters having frustration themselves with this issue. Where are the people who actually understand how to make money? Is is making money out of vogue, Mark? Great question, Howard.
0: Making money is not out of vogue, certainly not at Coase O'Connor Public Strategies. <laughs> it's All right, I'm for that. I'm going to remind you that this guy who, in my opinion, not everyone's, did a fabulous job of running the TARP program, had exactly zero business experience <laughs> when he did that. So I, I think you're starting with a predicate and a premise that that may be a little overrated, but it is a fair, it but, is a fair no, um, no, 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 no,
2: I'm going to stop you. You're right. I didn't have business experience at that point. I knew, but I knew how to pull the levers of government. Right. But there was this guy named Hank Paulson, Mark, who him. you might have heard of. Yeah. Who has a little bit of business experience. And he was actually the decision maker. He was actually calling the shots. And I was doing whatever Hank told me. I was doing whatever Hank told me because on my first day in the job, he pulled me into the secretary's conference room and told me not to F it up. So I was just following Hank. So where's the Hank Paulson?
0: Well, that was a good decision, although well, I had misunderstood. I thought that relationship worked the other way. I heard around town that Paulson was just following your lead. But there, Joe Biden brought with him into government people, who like you, Howard, who knew how to run things in the government and that distinguishes this administration from the Obama-Biden administration. So it's not exactly a redux. And I'm a huge fan of President Obama, but he did not bring these kinds of experienced people into government, nor did he bring business into government. Uh, Witness. his choice for Treasury Secretary, who came from the regulatory world, not, he was not chairman of Goldman Sachs. But the the priority for Biden was making government work. Priority for Biden was COVID, COVID, COVID climate. And he brought in people who can run the machinery of government. I don't think it's as big a disadvantage as your question, uh, presumes. And I don't think it is Obama redux exactly. But sure, I I yield to the fact that in the cabinet, you cannot point to someone with a long business career. So,
2: okay. So we're on the same page in that regard. So how do you talk to these people? It's our job to go in there for our clients who are business people and Connect their agenda with the agenda of the people we're talking to. And whether it's the secretary or it's an undersecretary or an assistant secretary, whatever it is, you know, look, Mark, we always say if you want to understand anything, follow the money. And that's not a crass point, it's just the way the world works for anybody in doing anything. So how how do you talk to these people who don't understand how to make money?
0: Well, a lot of these people believe they are unleashing a new economy, a climate economy. And they have absolutely, I talk to them all the time. They have, believe me, no, no reluctance to see people making money and, and a lot of it. They want to see people making money and a lot of it in a way that is good policy for the country. And they talk all the time and you can talk to them about it. And we do on behalf of our clients about the climate economy. So the way to talk to these folks is to talk to them about the policies that they are interested in and bring to that conversation the business implications of those policies. I haven't found it that hard in the first couple of months, but well, Caitlin is here for the counterpoint. <laughs> Caitlin, well, Mark, jump in.
1: <laughs> I- I'm curious how the climate economy feeds feeds your family and sends your kids to college and uh, helps you.
2: Drives the Jeep to dri- Nantucket. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And helps you um, unleash your entrepreneurship and and launch a small business on Main Street. I'm really, really curious how that all works out. Okay.
0: Well, the good news, Caitlin, is you have a front row seat. You're going to get to watch it work out. You're going to get to watch the money that has just been uh, voted spent in the economy, and and then we get to infrastructure, which is, which is what I'm really talking about. What I'm really talking about, and, and we talk about this all the time, is the Biden administration is going to do, if it can, we'll see, we're going to get to the 60 votes and all the rest, but they're intending to spend $3 trillion on infrastructure and climate. And they see the two of those as highly, highly correlated. And there will be fortunes made, absolute fortunes made in the Build Back Better program. Yeah. But not everyone, not everyone. It And, I, and there are- I'm going to have to get an electric Cheap powered. That's that's
2: <laughs> I'm all for that. I, Mark. I want to ride in it. And middle-class
1: families are going to see their taxes go. Only up.
2: only one of us on this call drives a climate-friendly electric vehicle. <laughs> that's
0: true. That um, true. But I have climate-friendly stickers on all my internal combustion cars.
2: That's awesome.
0: <laughs> but on the
2: on the on the infrastructure bill, they're going to pay for it through tax in, tax increases.
1: And not just on. The wealthy.
2: For one thing on on corporations, corporate tax Whoa. rates going up.
1: And individual and tax rates, including families that make 400000 which means two dual income, 200000 which is considered middle, upper middle, you know, middle class America and many populous blue states.
0: Well, not statistically. They feel that way. I recognize that uh, from personal experience, but statistically, a family making four hundred thousand is in the upper one percent of income in this country. I, I, I don't buy that the middle class is it, well is paying for. infrastructure bill. First of all, we don't know how it's going to be paid. Mark, tell
2: that to the $400,000 earning couple who's got to pay $80,000 a year for their kid to go to college.
1: Or the small business owner that makes $400,000 through their small business on Main Street.
0: So, So let's not rebuild the bridges, okay? There's an idea.
2: You, but you just said it's not about rebuilding bridges it's about greening the economy
0: and let's let's not take on what everybody on this call knows is an existential threat to the planet which is climate change we got to do what we got to do and we got to be brave enough and bold enough to do it smart And we can argue about whether it's about where the line should be drawn $400,000 for a couple more or less, 21%, 28% corporate tax rate. What Joe Biden is standing up there saying, and now Howard's going to want to talk about how it took so long for him to have a press conference. I'm ready for that too. But he's standing up there saying, let let here's the deal. Okay, Howard, here's Much the Much more fun without Patrick here, by
2: the way. We got
1: problems Two on one in
0: this country. We got big problems. We gotta get rid of this COVID thing. By the way, three and a half million shots yesterday. We gotta get rid of this COVID thing. We got to start attacking climate or we aren't going to have to worry about taxes or anything else. If Caitlin, your state of Florida is going to be an island already a peninsula. It's not going to take much for it to be an island, and half the island will be underwater. We got problems, and we got to pay for them, and that's what leadership is about.
2: Right, hundred percent, Mark. But that's where. But we got we have to pay for them in a way that enables the country to thrive. Correct and enables prosperity, and and that's where. Look, look, you're right. Like this is reality. Joe Biden is the president. He gets to pick his people. And what we are telling our clients is you have to speak like it is what it is. And you have to speak to the things that they are prioritizing if you want to get anything done. And by the way, don't count on getting away with lip service. I think the thing for the... My observation, and this isn't just a federal observation, is we are way beyond preachy rhetoric about, you know, green, the green company and, and equity. And, and it's it's show me time and you have to show the government, federal, state and local, that you're putting your money where your mouth is. And that the things that you that you're actually doing things, there's this whole ESG concept, well, environmental and social governance. Yeah, and, and and don't don't think you're going to get away with words. You have exactly. to actually be doing things that evidence the fact that you care about these issues and that you're putting your money toward these issues. And that's the way to connect to people in the Biden administration and people in the Seattle City Council.
0: Absolutely. But the, the evolution of that isn't, as you're saying, simply Biden related. It starts at the top, but it's the Seattle City Council and more because we live in a world of of data. We live in a world of metrics and analytics, and the Seattle City Council has diversity metrics that it is looking for. You can think they're the right metrics or the wrong metrics, but in terms of talking to the Seattle City Council, it's exactly what you're saying, Howard, and that goes right up To the White House, we've had this conversation with many clients where you you should not go to the White House to talk about a policy that you would like to advocate for or against without having a greenhouse gas score. They're going to ask you, literally going to ask you, what's the net greenhouse gas effect of what you're proposing?
2: And Mark, you and I have been involved in conversations about the banking industry (laughs) <laughs> Where the first question is, "What's your position on climate?" Yeah, and yeah. it's just—it's so literally
0: just what what will the impact of forgiving some portion of student debt be on climate? L- literally, a question was asked of a candidate for a senior treasury position, but but that's how you talk to these people, and and I saw back up a step and say that uh, it. it it's okay that you chose a saturday morning when patrick wasn't here to come at me from both sides here because patrick is is lukewarm lukewarm in his defense of uh, of the biden administration but but you guys were we're, in 1932, somebody was doing the journalistic equivalent of this podcast, and people were saying, we can't afford to save the banking system. We can't have, what's this social security thing? We can't afford that. Doing the right thing costs money. We have problems. We got to address them. It costs money, and it's a distributive question of who's going to pay for them. Because somebody has to. And that's that's where the debate is going to be in the pay for on uh, on infrastructure. And so. Go ahead. Now, let's let's pivot. And and Caitlin, like the 1932 accusation. Well.
1: Have you been meeting with those same historians in the White House, Mark?
0: Caitlin is still opposed to the New Deal. We know that. She's never accepted You
1: know, I don't love a big expansion of the welfare state, but.
0: You worked in the New
2: Deal. I did. And guess what? You know. I know the guy you worked for, what, ran Goldman Sachs, I guess. No, it's, it's. Tell that to AOC. No, look at, (laughs) look at what we did. We built it to take it down. We didn't build it for it to be around. It's no longer around. The New Deal, there are still agencies I work for another one that were created in the New Deal that are still around. It's a permanent expansion. That was a permanent expansion of government. And I'm not, look, government has a role. We have serious problems. You know, on a personal level that I am not opposed to the things that that you and I are more on the same page than perhaps it sounds on this podcast, but government, the, the private sector is better at making decisions about efficient allocation of resources than the government. The government is an inefficient mechanism. It's a bureaucratic mechanism. I mean, how much waste is there in government? And I think there's a way to accomplish what the Biden administration needs to accomplish, because I agree they need to accomplish it. And there are serious problems with capitalism. I mean, and, and there are people being left behind. Clearly, it's at the root of our problems, but they're being left behind because te- because of technology and the flow of information and borderless societies and globalization, and if 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 there were a freighter permanently blocking the Suez Canal like yeah. there is today, we wouldn't be having these conversations. But literally and figuratively, there there isn't in nor- in normal times, and it's it's the economic order of the universe. And I, I just. Having worked in government a long time, I just don't trust government to fix all of our problems and efficiently allocate capital.
0: Not alone. Not
2: alone. So let's move, Mark, to uh, we could talk about this all day, and it's very interesting, but let's, Caitlin, talk about the state of Joe Biden. So, Mark, what are we? 85 days, what, I can't, I've lost track in terms of.
0: 70 days in, right?
2: Okay. Um, we
1: finally got a press conference. We
2: finally got a press conference, Caitlin. And
0: I know how much you missed the Trump administration press conference. Oh, God, so thank God. Look, look, and look, <laughs> the tone
2: at the top and the quality of life for, I don't care what side you're on, it's so much better. So much better. And and to me, it's far and away the most important thing, but it, it still feels, Caitlin, like the Joe in the basement strategy of the campaign. We finally got a press conference. Um, we saw Joe Biden trip three times trying to look like a tough guy getting up. Air Force, the stairs to Air Force One. Caitlin, what do you make of, of Joe Biden, you know, this many days in?
1: I think the press conference was hard to watch. It was a little, uh, bl- um, he was really blundering. He struggled to answer pretty basic questions. And the questions he was getting asked by the media could not have been, more softball questions, not one single question about the COVID pandemic, as more than the majority of our K through 12 school kids still are not in school five days a week in person. Uh, it was, frankly, in my view, pretty out of touch based on the questions that the reporters were asking. And, um, you know, Donald Trump never got such simple, easy questions from the uh, from from the press. Um I was I was a little uh I was it was hard to watch. It's it was hard to watch.
2: Mark, are you concerned? No. No. It, we know the answer is no.
0: No, but
1: the answer is
0: sincerely no. And I want to tell I want to agree on one thing with Caitlin and then tell her why she's wrong about everything else. But th- I agree with you that it was stunning that there was one and only one question about COVID. And guess who else agrees with you? The Biden administration. I've talked to folks who say, where were the questions? We wanted the questions. That's what we want to talk about, because that is the biggest problem, bar none, total eclipse of the sun in the country still, and I thought the media's questioning was a joke. I know you think, Caitlin, it was softballs and Trump never got that treatment and on and on. It it was a joke, not because they were softballs, but because they were dumb questions like, are you going to dump Kamala Harris if you run for re-election? That is its idiocy, I'm a, a big First Amendment guy. They got every right in the world to ask stupid questions and they exercise that right.
1: 30 so minutes I, in and we found something we agree on, Mark.
0: I agree with you. But I, Joe Biden hasn't held weekly Kennedy-esque press conferences. He's not Jack Kennedy. And what he's doing is working. I think he's doing it exactly right. Instead of getting up there and having this be what we're talking about, he's just going to work and trying to solve some of these problems. And tripping up, I get it, he's not a young man. He shouldn't have tripped up the steps. Three times. But but he he is doing a better job than I thought he would. And I thought he would do a pretty damn good job. What has amazed me is how absolutely passionate and and indignant and determined he is on these voting rights issues. That we'll get what, to that. But before we, we should, leave because that is that is energy unleashed in this administration and this congress it wasn't at least on on my agenda i i wouldn't have predicted right. that what georgia did with its voting laws would be the end of the filibuster so so let's that's, let's
2: that's table that for a saying. minute though and i think one observation i want to make and i've seen this from the inside as you guys know is confirmations and appointments they have really slowed. Um, Caitlin. They have um, trickled to a bit of a of a snail's pace. Um, I you know, I think they came out of the gate strong, but they've they've really slowed down here in the last couple of weeks. And that's what that's what I'm concerned about. Mark and Caitlin is the fact that now we're at a point where um, there just aren't people that are um, getting, getting appointed and confirmed to these jobs. It's um, you know, it's hard to find an undersecretary. It's hard to find an assistant secretary. Um, They're, they're not there. And I think they came out of the gate strong, but they've slowed down Mark. And, and, and from a logistical point of view, it's, it's a concern, even in the healthcare realm, which as you say, is the most important thing right now. I, um, look, the tone is better and that's a beautiful thing. And it's really important in my opinion. And I'm glad Trump is gone and all, all of that, but, um, they you know i just don't think that and 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 the discipline is part of that and they're disciplined and they're strategic and there's they're being very deliberate and that's a good thing from a tone perspective but he's not running anymore and you you can't govern from the basement
0: he's not he's governing from the oval office but you can govern without regularly putting on a reality TV show. Thank goodness. Part of this is... We agree. ...correction. We agree. Okay? And by the way, speaking of appointments, it's my turn to, to get to ask a question. So did you all note the most important appointment made last week?
2: What's that, Mark?
0: That's right. It was the appointment of Gail Manchin... Joe Manchin's wife to be the co-chair of the Appalachian Regional Council. Okay. This this is Joe Biden. It's my favorite thing that Joe's done yet. Joe is being accused of being AOC's bag man. We all know that's a joke. Even even Caitlin knows that's not true. But here, here's your distinction. Wasn't, I'm
1: sorry, wasn't Ron Klein just meeting with AOC and, and Ileana Omar secretly this week? Sorry, continue, Mark.
0: I don't know is the answer. I, I may have missed that. I don't believe it was to get his instructions for the following week's to-do list. But Barack Obama would not have done what Joe Biden just did. He appointed Manchin's wife, who is very qualified and very deserving, but I, I just think it tells you a lot uh, about, Mark, about that, his plans.
2: Nah, that happens all the time. And by the way, it happened in the Trump administration. Uh, yeah. Donald Trump appointed the majority leader's wife.
1: Secretary of Transportation.
2: And it happened in the Reagan administration. And it happened in the Clinton administration. And yes, Mark, it actually happened in the Obama administration. Not
0: often enough. Is my point
2: not often enough? Um, let's move to voting rights because you started the discussion, Mark, and it's it's a very hot topic. As I said earlier, um, Georgia's been in the news. Georgia passed a voting rights bill. A voting maybe it's not rights, um, and and there's, you know, Joe Biden said it's it's Jim Crow ask. Um, it's screaming at everybody from the front pages, but I've talked to some people that I trust down in Georgia about the evolution of the bill. And, and there were some very extreme and upsetting and unsettling proposals, but what actually got passed, um, isn't what everybody is making it out to be. It doesn't restrict early voting. It arguably expands early voting. The, the, the provision of the bill that people are most upset about is a provision that criminalizes giving out bottles of water to the, the so-called thirsty voter restriction, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, by the way, all around. But it just doesn't seem... Like it well, is no, it's
0: now in Georgia, it is now illegal to give someone a bottle of water while they're waiting in a line to vote, but not illegal to buy assault weapons on the open market. So there's something backwards. We didn't even get to uh, to gun control, but the the georgia bill i i have not studied it i don't know honestly what it says i know only what it's been reported to do right which is skewed which is what matters it's the narrative and maybe no, so the actually, narrative
1: not the facts matter it actually
2: matters what it does because it is a mechanical bill in well, a sense it's it defines how people uh, how people cast their ballots it's very mechanical
0: it may or may not restrict voting rights in Georgia the way it's been reported to i i look forward to taking a look at it it may also motivate democratic turnout who knows which way it cuts in the next election but it's undeniable undeniable even though i look forward to two denials of this undeniable fact uh, as soon as i'm done talking it's undeniable that there is a concerted coordinated effort uh, in this country at the state level among republican legislatures especially where there are republican governors to roll back some of the voting right provisions that resulted in the 2020 election being conducted as it was that's that's happening and what it means politically is extremely consequential because I I didn't think there would be filibuster reform, and I didn't think it would happen both because there are a few folks, Manchin among them, who say they, they won't do it, but also because I didn't think you were gonna see the death of the filibuster over how much money to spend on COVID. I didn't think there was an issue that was going to take down the filibuster. Voting rights might be that issue. The narrative has developed. The energy, I cannot tell you the energy behind this among Democratic senators. I've talked to 10 of them in the last two weeks. And there is ferocious energy about doing something about what is perceived as suppression of voting rights. Okay, but is, is
2: have you talked to Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema? Because that's all that matters.
0: Well, as a matter of fact, yes, to uh, Kirsten Cinema, I I didn't. It was early in my conversations. I hadn't yet read the book Sheldon Whitehouse told me to read. I'm now better prepared for my discussion with Senator Cinema, But you have the President of the United States talking to his friend Joe Manchin about this. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but my point is that of all the issues that the Democrats may be willing to, to actually do this for, voting rights is the top of the list.
1: I don't think the record breakout turnout that we saw in 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 this year's election or in in last year's election shows that there's a problem with the way the system currently exists but what we did see was a lot of concern about the integrity of the process and states are looking at ways to tighten things up and fix that so that the american citizens have more trust in the system
0: you don't believe that i I do believe that You don't believe that this isn't a calculated campaign by the Republicans in Republican-controlled states to suppress Democratic vote. That is is what this is. It may or may not be unconstitutional. The Supreme Court will decide. I think we all have a pretty good hunch which way this Supreme Court will decide that. But to talk about election integrity, Caitlin, I'm, I'm, I don't, we're not going to agree on that. Okay. I'm not going to agree on that in, in a world where the, the big lie that the election was stolen resulted in an attack on the Capitol and where you have counsel for Sidney Powell saying you can't sue her for defamation over what she said. Nobody should believe what she said. It was so obviously a lie. And what, what, this isn't about the integrity of, of elections. This is about winning elections. And and I think the energy unleashed in the United States Senate on this issue is something I didn't see coming and could have historic consequences for, for the filibuster, which isn't even the filibuster as we know. It's the closure rule.
2: I just wish... The cloture rule, I just wish we could get to a place where the narrative, the media would cover things in an honest, straightforward, factual and even handed way, because right now, this is a little bit of a pivot, but to me, it's kind of all connected You've got a humanitarian crisis on the southern border and look at the way that I'd rather have Joe Biden than Donald Trump any day of the week and twice on Sunday.
1: But isn't it sad but, you have to say that every time you just want to make a clear point now? Right.
2: It is. And I, I feel compelled to say it because at the same time, I want to say that if you Donald Trump were the president, or frankly, any Republican, the coverage would be dramatically different than it is for for Joe Biden. And I think one of the um, sad, to me, it's so sad that we can't deal with immigration. And I think that could have been, could be, could have been one of the things that actually gets dealt with. Um, during this administration. And, and I think the Republican Party needs to deal with that as much as the Democratic Party wants to deal with it, because the demographics in this country are changing. And that's going to come home to roost. And all of this electioneering that the Republicans are trying to do, if you want to call it that, is it? is they're treading water. And um, demographics are changing and, and I, I, I think this is the, the trend line in this country from a demographic point of view is against the Republican position. And I think it, I think the, to the extent that they're doing things that undermine voting rights, it's, it's an act of desperation. That's, that's how I see it just to connect everything. Um, And I just wish that things would be covered even handedly.
0: But they're not covered, in my view, they're not covered unfairly in one direction or the other. The problem is you can't find the signal in the noise altogether because so much of the coverage is politically biased and motivated in both directions. The most popular cable network in the country remains Fox News, although it's had some atrophy. You can't tell me that you think they're doing a good job of covering the news straight and that it's the liberal media that that is biased. It's it's impossible to know where yeah, to but go for facts on either side.
2: I do not watch Fox News, but the New York Times and the Washington Post should not be either side. They should not be, and the Post is better than the Times, in my opinion, but they should not be, you shouldn't even have to ask the question. That's not Fox News. And MSNBC kind of the equivalent of Fox. I I don't know. I find it to be more factual than than I don't watch Fox than than Fox, but places, mainstream media like the New York Times and the Washington Post should be balanced and you should be able to read it without bias. and, And it's grossly biased, Mark. And well, nobody's certainly not going to disagree that it
0: should be balanced and unbiased unless it's an editorial page uh, opinion. We can disagree about how biased it is. I actually think the Post is as close as we have to an, all the news that's fit to print. Uh, <laughs> platform, I know that's the times. You know. they, they surrender.
2: Democracy it. dies in darkness. That's the <laughs> yeah.
0: Post. Yeah, no, the Which post I, I think does does all right. But yeah, yep. it's the I it's agree. the noise. It's there is way too much noise in the system to find the signal, and and the country would be better off if there were more common agreement on facts. Yeah.
2: Okay, well, we made a lot of noise this morning, but it is a beautiful Saturday, and I hope uh, you guys enjoy the day and our listeners enjoy the day, and uh, thank you for listening. I'm looking out my window, and we're fortunate to live on a street lined with cherry blossoms, and the the trees are about to pop, so uh, happy spring, enjoy. And uh, a spirited Saturday, as always.
0: Thanks. Get out, guys. Get outside, Caitlin. I think some some fresh air will do. You <laughs> <go>. <laughs> clear That's your awkward. head. Of, clear your head of all these talking points oh. left over from the last administration.
2: I
1: guess we'll continue this conversation <laughs> next week.
0: To be continued. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.